Consider, first of all, God's plan for this new Jerusalem. And I'll, I'll just continue on with verse, uh, verse 10. So he carried me away into a spirit in a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like unto Jasper stone, the most beautiful, most enduring of all the gemstones, clear as crystal, and had a wall and a high and twelve gates, and twelve gates were twelve angels, likely each, you know, one angel at each, we don't need twelve every one. And names were written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, and on this foundation upon which God builds. And on the east, three gates, if, if you want to see a diagram of this, I, I put a little sheet up here, I mentioned it earlier, but there's a diagram of what the city is like. And on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates, and on the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And in, the, the, in them, the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof, and the city lieth four square. That's a cube of sorts. And the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height are equal, and he measured the wall thereof, and hundred and forty and four cubits, according to the measure of a man. That is... The angel did this just as God laid out a plan for the first capital, Eden in the garden, right? He has laid out a design for the eternal capital, the new Jerusalem, descending upon the new earth. Think of the dimensions of this city. Because the first question people always ask, is there enough room there for everybody? Well, don't forget, this is the city, the dwelling of the bride. This is the church overlooking the earth so we've got plenty of room for everybody the dimensions the exact dimensions are evidently measured and given to john by one of the seven angels back up in verse 9 the angels that had meted out the judgments when trying to figure out all the measurements modern translations might help you they'll insert some numbers there sometimes they oversimplify things but the new living translation for example it was in the form of a cube most likely. But that's our limited perspective. I'll give you another option in a moment. For its length and its width and its height were 1,400 miles each direction. 1,400 miles in each direction. And the walls were decorated with jasper stone. They're 200, <clears throat> 216 feet wide. 200 and 16 feet wide. We got some builders here. I mean, that's, that's a significant foundation wall. Many have studied dimensions, and you can read some fascinating things because they just have to do that, I suppose, about symbolism of these measurements and all. But I just notice there, at the end of verse 17, it's according to whose standard? Just, I don't know, it's just a thought to me. Whose standard is there? Man, the measure of a man, right? What, why is that significant to me? Because I'm going to live there. We're not little green Martian men, you know, in a tiny little house, in a tiny little place. This is according to man. So, so give yourself the imagination of how big this place must be. It'll be. It's stepped off by a man, according to this angel, and, a, and you'll live there in a full-size dwelling for all of eternity.
which means what? Well, it's a real place. <laughs> it can be stepped off. It's a large place. It can be divided, lived in by men and women. The dimensions stretch from Canada down to Mexico, from border to border. From the Appalachian Mountains, we'll have the Appalachian Gospel Heralds. You say Appalachian, I say Appalachian. Gospel Heralds here on Wednesday night. But from the Appalachian Mountains to the borders of California. That's a bike ride for you, Bob. You've taken that. But this, is this really big enough for everybody? Is it big enough for everybody to visit and worship there? Remember, this is the dwelling place of God's people, the church in specific. You had to be with me on Wednesday night. So there's, there's a limited, fixed dwelling there overseeing the earth where everyone dwells. But is it big enough? Is it big enough? Are we just going to be crowded in like we are sometimes in church? On uncomfortable pews. Is it really big enough? Well, if you were to lay carpet, any carpet layers, if you were to lay carpet in this place on the ground level, just, just one floor, just take one floor. You don't measure it by square feet. You don't measure it by square yards. You're going to have to measure this thing by square miles. Almost two million square miles to be exact. So at ground level, New Jerusalem is 40 times bigger than England, 1,500 times larger than London. Since it's in the heavens, you might think of it in terms of a sphere. And I mentioned this on Wednesday night. So yeah, it makes sense in a cube. I don't know how else you would describe it. If it were a sphere, how would you describe these measurements? And you would think about what's up and down and all that you would get confused. So, so this cube is described, I think, primarily for our understanding, but it's in the heavens. Maybe it's in the shape of a sphere. And if, if you were to consider it in the shape of a sphere, it would, it would be just slightly larger than our moon. So if you took this cube, put it inside something round, it'd be something hovering over the earth, just slightly larger than our moon. Close enough, though, that it lights the earth. So it's built as a cube, apparently has various levels throughout, although we don't know how many. But you can imagine that how many stories might be built up over a wall, a foundation of 216 feet wide on every side. Well, within the walls, notice the doors of the city, verse 12, we're told how many gates. There's 12, three on each side, times four, 12 gates. A gate represents protection. But these gates, down in verse 25, these gates are never closed of course, there's no cause for alarm because we're told, uh, we just read in verse 12, that each gate is guarded by an angel. Verse 27, there shall in no means anything enter into it that defiles. The city is safe. It is secure. You're kept from harm. Each gate that hangs open, verse 21, is made of what? You have to look at your Bible to see that. Not me. Verse 21. Made of what? Pearl. pearl. Possibly a single great pearl, which I cannot imagine, but it's made of pearl. If it is a single great pearl, it ought to just immediately take your attention to the great, single great pearl of price. Who is that? That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So the symbolism there. So the message and the material of the gates in this grand city remind me of a couple of things. My eternal security is provided by Jesus Christ. 
There's nothing I can do now or ever do in the future to hold it secure. It's, it is prepared for me, John 14. It is provided to me. It's kept secure all by the Lord Jesus Christ. Access to this city is through a specific gate. There's not like, oh yeah, you can come in another way or over the wall. No, there's none of that. So that just reminds you about the sense of no other way. And when you come to this gate, there's no elitism. It's not like, well, you have to go through gate number three or gate number. No, it's you come in at the gate, each of you equally. You cannot pass through by any other means. You come in by the gate. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, of all those citizens of this new earth are all welcomed at any time to come and worship. But notice who are the dwellers of this city. That is the permanent dwellers of this city. Walking through the gates represent the nations of the earth. Not one nation, so not just Israel, but the nations are represented, verse 24. Revelation 5 describes them as redeemed to God by the blood of Jesus Christ out of every kindred, every tongue, every people, every nation. So we've got a representation through the body of Christ, the church, a representation of every nation. Philippians 3 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The new Jerusalem will be a permanent, secure city of the dwelling place of God's people, in particular, the bride. Some people, I'm one of them, I don't like living in cities. Do you like cities? God bless you if you do. I like going in the city, but I also like getting out of the city, right? Nothing better in my life than getting out of the city when you have the chance. I remember, my daughter's here, I remember when uh, we spent a week of vacation in Chicago. Do you remember that? A wonderful church apartment on the fifth floor with no air conditioning, so you had to leave the windows open. If you're in the city and you have to leave the windows open over a busy intersection, and uh, next to an all-night gas station. You can imagine the sights and sounds that you would hear in, in any given evening. And uh, know, if you turn on the lights real quick, you could see the roaches, I believe. Remember those? Yeah, no, those were pretty. Anyway, it was, not a, it was not a really terrific place. It was good to get out of the apartment and into the city. We'd come back to rest at night. Randy Alcorn suggests this city... This new Jerusalem will have all the advantages you can imagine in a grand city without any of the disadvantages. No one will be trying to chisel a precious stone out of the wall. No one's going to try to lift this gate off its hinges and make off with it in some way. No one's going to scrape a little gold from the sidewalk and just put it in their pocket. Verse 10 says it's a holy city. It's planned in every detail all the way down to its foundations, which Hebrews tells us is, is its builder and maker is God himself. As the architect and builder then, consider God's provisions for this new Jerusalem. Let's read on with verse 21, and we'll go on into chapter 22. Verse 21, the twelve gates were these pearls. Verse 22, and I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. We have now this dwelling place of God. And the city had no need of sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did light it. And the Lamb was the light thereof, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in light of it. 
So we have this, this is, in particular, remember, this is the bride of Christ dwells in this city. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So we've got people coming and going from earth to the new Jerusalem and back. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night. And they shall bring the glory and honor of nations into it. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that shall defile it, because all that's been wiped away and, and the rest has been thrown into the, 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 the pit of hell. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and, out of, and, and of the Lamb. And the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, perhaps many, which bare twelve manner of fruits, perhaps twelve different types, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there were no more, there should be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb of God shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So the dwellers on earth still have need of something that they get from these beautiful trees in the New Jerusalem. And by the way, we evidently are part of administering this. And they shall see his face. So no more do you have to turn away, no more hiding in the shadows. And his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. They don't even need a candle. You don't need a flashlight. No sun, for the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. This is beyond the millennial kingdom now. We're in the eternal kingdom. All other cities of New Earth and all other cities that you have ever known will pale in comparison physically and spiritually to this new Jerusalem. What's the light of the city? Verse 13, the glory of the Lord, right? The glory of the Lord's light. You talk about renewable energy, this is an inexhaustible light that never dims. It doesn't go down at night, it doesn't need to be refreshed. Earlier John described this message that God is light, in uh, 1 John, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Do you remember when Moses left the presence of God, having received the Ten Commandments, even though he was enshrouded by a cloud? Do you remember when Moses came down from the mountain, what did they say about his face? Right? He was sunburned. And when Paul then saw had his encounter with God on the road to Damascus. Do you remember that? He was struck blind by the bright light that he saw. The presence of God is always likened to bright light, a light that will consume mortal flesh. But this mortal will have put on immortality and then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in this beautiful victory. Our resurrected bodies will have no need to hide in the shadows from God because we'll live in the full presence of God. No need to shy away from His glory. In fact, chapter 21, verse 11, there'll be no shadows in this new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, with all of its jewels and clear rivers and shining streets, will glisten like jewels. And because of this translucent reflective material, the light radiating from this new Jerusalem, will shine upon the new earth. So it shines on the earth from this great city. Does that mean the earth is still rotating? It still has night and day? I don't know. Don't, 
You can talk about that over lunch, I don't know. But I do know that the city itself will never dim. Well, the light from the city comes from the life of the city. All living things need light. And we might assume that the light of God's glory is the sustaining source of all light, not only in this city, but on earth itself, the new earth. There are two significant, other than the light itself, there are two other significant elements for sustaining life in this new Jerusalem. Verse 1, the river of life, right? After light, the most important element of life is what? It's water. It flows like a spring from beneath the throne of God. It may be noted that God remains the source of all our provisions, even in this eternal glory. And then after light and water, what other element is necessary for survival? Food. You're going to eat? Are you going to eat in the new heaven and the new earth? I think so. I do. I think so. I, would, I, would, I don't think it would be very enjoyable for all of eternity to never have to eat, but I, you're not going to kill a cow and eat a steak. You have no danger of, you know, of death in that way, but you'll, you'll enjoy some beautiful treats. You're all vegetarians at this point. I don't know if that thrills you or not, but there's some pretty amazing things that will come from these great trees. Light, water, food. You see what's provided there in verse 2, the tree of life. There's a tree of life mentioned in the Garden of Eden. There's a tree of life that is mentioned in the immediate heaven. I think perhaps that's the cross itself. But then there is prophesied, Ezekiel 47 and other places, that there is a tree of life that will again be present in the new heaven. Perhaps God has transplanted his original trees from the Garden of Eden. I don't know. But remember, God created it all with, a, with just a voice, just a word. He can recreate it again with just His word. It's not a singular term, but many trees, perhaps of many different types. It's collective, suggesting John was seeing rows of trees along the banks of these crystal clear rivers, lining perhaps the streets of gold. Not one tree bearing 12 different types, but different types of trees. The river of life suggests that God provides life. It may be that the tree of life suggests God even sustains life. This for all of eternity. This is not a stagnant beauty. It loses its appeal. I don't think there's a, a time when the trees fade. There's a longing for this city. Even as God planted the original garden that grew and changed as original man interacted, there's no reason to believe that God will be any less Enjoy that, that God's new creation will be any less enjoyable than the, than the old garden in this new garden. What we see of nature now should make us long for what nature will be like without sin. I mean, why do we have the sweat of the brow and the thorns on the bushes? Because of sin. So what we see in the beauty of creation now ought to make us long for the beauty of creation then. What I know of life now whether it's holding my grandbaby or holding my wife's hand or just enjoying time together. What I know of life now ought to make me long for the time when I have life together with loved ones for all of eternity, without sin. What I know and have witnessed of man's creative genius here on earth ought to make me long for the creative genius 
of what eternal life must be like. The New Jerusalem, like a grand city, is the source and inspiration for all things on earth. The nature of our eternal life is revealed by God's plan in this New Jerusalem. The nature of our eternal life is revealed in God's provision in this New Jerusalem. There's also a purpose here. Look at verse 6. And he said unto me, These things are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants these things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. We said on Wednesday night, it's the one book. Revelation is the one book that is given to us with a guarantee of blessing if you'll take the time to read it, study it, look into it. And I, John, saw these things, and I heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of this angel that showed me these things. But the angel says, what? No, don't do this. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust. That which is filthy is still filthy. That which is righteous, let him be righteous. So all things have now been sealed. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. To give every man according to his, of his work shall be. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, uh, whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You remember our eternal existence in heaven will not be without purpose. So you're not in free time to do whatever you please as if nothing matters because now everything matters for one purpose. And that purpose is what? The glory of God. Everything I will then do will be to the glory of God. Well, what is work in the city like? Even the angels said, I'm just your fellow servant, right? Don't worship me, I'm just a fellow servant. Literally, it means we serve the same master. And in fact, the church, remember, the church is made higher. We, we assume now a position in this new heaven that's higher than the angels. We'll not be robots. We'll be workers in the city of God with redeemed abilities to perform the work of caring for life on this new earth. That's our task. Remember, we're going to rule and reign with him for all of eternity. God told the first Adam in the untarnished Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it, right? This is your job. The problem before weeds and sweat, verse 19 of Genesis 2, God gave the responsibility to Adam of naming animals. That's pretty cool. That's, that's kind of a cool job. It would blow my mind right now. If you, if you sat down right now with no hint of names for any of the creatures on earth, and I gave you a book of all the creatures on earth, and I said, okay, go name them. It would absolutely, it would take you the rest of your life for one thing. It would just blow your mind. It would, you would, it just, it would lose the joy, I think. Your mind is not capable. But that was what he was doing. 
And so the assignments that we will be given in this new Jerusalem, this new of, of the new heavens over the earth, will not be like chain gangs busting up rocks at the pleasure of an angry God who's going to prove his point for all of eternity. It may be, however, though, that we are given tasks in this new Jerusalem over this new earth according to the works that we have done while here on earth. It may be. We know that to be true because of the, what Jesus said in the parable. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee what? Ruler over many. There seems to be the suggestion that according to our works, even as Christians, not for salvation or loss, but according to the works of this life, we'll be given authorities in the new Jerusalem. Well, the joy of heaven is not having everything done for us, but everything I then do will be to the glory of God the Father. And that leads us to the worship that's taking place in this city. I think it's significant. You read verse 8, and then you go down to verse 9. So verse 8 is talking about the worship. Verse 9 is talking about the work that we're going to be doing. It's interesting, I think, fellow workers become fellow worshipers. It's not that the worship of God leads us into the work but the work that we're involved in leads us into worship. May I just say in passing, many attend church today to enjoy the worship, but who have invested nothing in the work of God. Do you remember the lesson of David in 2 Samuel? The lesson of David, he said, I will not offer to God anything that does not first what? Cost me something. Nothing brings a church together like working together, right? You've seen that. We have a work day or something, and it's just, it's just the fun of it, and we all get together, and we just we enjoy then our worship together, even all the more. The worship will follow. But how many people today choose a church basically solely upon worship? Coming to receive but nothing to offer. Is the work, it is the work of God that we enjoy together in the new Jerusalem for all of eternity that will ensure that we worship together. Of course, it's also true that all work and no play or no worship, right, makes a Christian a pretty dull person, right? If all you ever do is work, and you never worship, you have no, no outlet for the worship of God in your life, it makes you pretty dull. So as we come together to worship, it makes us long for His coming all the more. Philippians 3, we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, waiting for this city, longing for this city. Paul said in the same verse, Philippians 3, our citizenship is presently already in heaven. That's what creates a longing in our life for something that must be better. Notice what John records in our passage of Revelation 22. Let me take you through some of it. Revelation 22, verse 6. The things which must shortly be done. 
Verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Verse 10, For the time is at hand. Verse 12, Behold, I come quickly again. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that hear, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. Verse 20, Surely I come quickly. And John concludes, Even so come, Lord Jesus. If you're a child of God, then you know that you hold a ticket to a parcel of land in the new eternal Jerusalem. Romans 8 says, if we're children of God, <clears throat> then we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, that we may also be glorified together into the glorious liberty of the children of God, waiting for the adoption. Then do we wait for patience. Jesus said, you remember when he, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, it's pretty exciting to read God's Word, which is the road map. You can know where you're going. It's pretty exciting to read about what we'll see when we get there. And I would just ask you this question whether it's someone who will be listening by radio or you who've gathered on a busy, busy, busy holiday week. Do you know?